Amen. Good morning. Um, I think the youth that aren't on the retreat are invited to stay. There is no youth Sunday school. Um, the kids are going to go to the back. Uh, this morning we're continuing. Um, so before Lent, uh, we're going through kind of just preaching through sermons we wanted to preach. Um, again, I've been focusing on the streams of the brethren in Christ, what makes us brethren in Christ theologically, sharing that, you know, though we believe that, that God is our ultimate source and that's who we get everything for, as we're flowing in this river of faithfulness and following God, um, we've been as brethren in Christ, able to look and see how and what God is doing in and around us and then how does that affect us, right? So that's how even though God is the source, we'll have these different streams that, that come up through the years. And, and our streams that are identified as Anabaptism, Pietism, Wesleyanism, and Evangelicalism. Now, from our Anabaptists, some of us think that's maybe the foundational one, right? That is the one we're founded in. Uh, we descend and, and come spiritually from a people who believe practically believers' baptism, right? Um, to the point where the Protestants and Catholics killed them for it, right? Like, they thought that you needed to make this decision to follow Jesus. Um, they believed that you ought to choose where you worship, right? I always joke that, you know, everything people really like about Christianity is the Anabaptists, right? They just don't know it yet. Like, most people just think, I get to choose where I go to church. Well, three, four, five hundred years ago, you didn't. <laughs> Right. And it wasn't just because it was what was in your neighborhood. It, it, it could be as much as like your king is a Protestant. So you're a Protestant. Right. Your queen is Catholic. So you're Catholic. So so this idea that we get to choose what we worship. Right. Choose our community was was relatively new. It doesn't mean it didn't exist. But as far as a movement of people saying this is who we choose to be. I think that resonates with a lot of us even to this day, right? Um, there are people who are about simple living, peace, um, obedience and discipleship. Now, from the, that's the theology, but the practice for them was this idea of priesthood of all believers. And, and part of the reason we say Anabaptism is maybe the foundation is because all these other streams are going to have aspects of these things, right? So this morning we talk about holiness. We'll also talk about priesthood of all believers, for example. Um, but, but, but they're about community. And so that's the idea of what does it mean to come together. And then uh, last, a couple weeks ago, we talked about pietism. And for the brethren in Christ, it wasn't just, oh, the Holy Spirit's alive, the Holy Spirit's living. But it was kind of this idea is like, what does genuine conversion really look like? Is it enough that you say you believe in Jesus? Is it enough that you go up to the, to the altar and, and then you do it again the next week and the next week and the next week? Is that what truly following Jesus looks like? What, what does genuine conversion look like? What does new life in Christ look like? And, and kind of the phrase they, they hung on to is your faith in Jesus, your faith in God, your walk with God, it should be enjoyed with the heart and affirmed with the head. I, I think one of the most fascinating things for me growing up in the church is, is meeting miserable Christians. Right? Like, it was fascinating because I'm like, you apparently believe in this God who's good, but you're not happy at all. Right? And I'm not saying that, like, following God means you're always happy. But you know who I'm talking about, right? Like, the Christians were just miserable. And it's just like, if it's so hard, if life is so hard, do you actually know the joy of Christ? Right? Because I've also met Christians who've suffered way more than any of us can imagine, and they seem to have more joy than some of us who seem to have everything. They seem to have more peace than some of us who can't even sit down. They seem to have more compassion than some of us who are so easy to hoard. Right? If you truly follow Jesus, the question is, why are you so miserable? Is your misery a sign that you're not maybe truly following Jesus? But that's another conversation. The, the pietism was, was kind of inviting us back. 
into this idea of what does it mean to fully give your life to Christ. And how we've answered it is that, well, it means living for God fully, piety, but it also means obedience. And that's a word that we seem to like telling the kids, but forget to tell the adults. That's a word we seem to to like teaching in Sunday school, obey God. But it's a word that we're just like, well, obey God as best as you can. You know, try your best. Right? The obedience of following God means that Jesus is Lord. It means that you're living a life of submission. It means that what God says happens to matter more than what you say or think or imagine. Because the thing is, you can't possibly love better than God. And I think the humbling thing for some of us is you can't possibly know better than God. And so as we move from Anabaptism to to, to piety, we get a little bit of challenge this morning. Because we move to the Wesleyan holiness. And for the brethren in Christ, this is, this, is, this is hard for some of us. And if you go through the riveting papers in the, the 18th and 19th and 20th centuries, you'll see that this is something that we struggled with, we battled over. And I think there's a reason we battled over it. And I think the fundamental reason is perhaps we didn't understand it. I had a great conversation with John Hallbaker this weekend. And one of the things he pointed out is that, like, what do we even call B.I.C. Wesleyan holiness? Because maybe it doesn't even look like Wesleyan holiness. I think part of the reason we fought so over it is because when we hear holiness, it's a jerk reaction. Even those of us who aren't like ardent theologians, we don't even like the word holy, right? We've let the world claim holy because when we hear holy, we think holier than thou. And that's bad. So holy must be bad. And I think that's a base fundamental understanding that we have to this word holiness. So I do think it's helpful for us to actually talk about what the Wesleyans meant by holiness. And then to see what we as BIC took from it. And then to go to our passage, which I think helps us flesh that out. Now, another thing that trips us up is how we talk about words. Again, as Wesley uh, professed and then preached and as this movement grew, they talked about something called entire sanctification or Christian perfection. And I know this doesn't happen to us today because we're, we're brilliant, right? We don't go by buzzwords on our TV or our Facebook feeds. Like, we actually go to the source, right? We actually read everything about We don't hear a word and think we know everything, right? We never do that, right? But I would say those saints of old kind of did that. Because they heard Christian perfection and be like, well, God wants me to be perfect. That can't be true. That can't, entire sanctification, like no sin, like that, that, that just can't be true. But what did they actually mean? So, so, so there's a great article um, John shared with me from Kevin M. Watson. He talks about how Wesley saw, and again, I think this actually resonates with the brethren in Christ, right? Wesley saw Methodism or, or, or his understanding of holiness as a gift that God gave him for such a time as this. I think that's important for us to understand because I was talking to a bunch of uh, high schoolers and middle schoolers this week. And one of the things I was trying to stress upon them is that, like, listen, I'm old now. It's good to be on this side, Right? But God's called you to such a time as this. I don't know how to keep up with the technology. I don't know how to keep up with the changing world. Like, as an old millennial, I am firmly a binary person, black, white. I'm still trying to get all the spectrums, right? God didn't call me for such a time. God called you. Y'all got to figure it out, right? That's between y'all and God. I'm going to try my best, but y'all going to have to help me along. And so when we bring that understanding of some of these theologies, it's important that you understand that that Wesley is also reacting to a movement of things that are happening around him. He's reacting to Christians who say, 
Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven so I can live how I want. I'm a sinner, so, so why expect better, <laughs> right? Like, and all of us kind of say this to a certain degree, right? God doesn't expect me to be perfect, Right? Like, God doesn't really, like, I mean, he knows I'm not perfect. I'm just Hank, you know? Like, he knows I'm going to mess up. I say that one too much, right? Like, he knows I'm going to mess up. But again, is that what Wesley meant? For Wesley, love of God moves all sin from us. I think there's a way you can break that down that's actually even simpler than that, right? We believe that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. Right? You with me? Like, that's something he promises in John 14. After Jesus dies, the Pentecost, the Spirit comes down. We believe the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We can hold that. The second one is that not only does Jesus promise and the Holy Spirit comes down and lives inside of us, we also believe that where God is, sin cannot dwell. And then that gets tricky. Because if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and sin can't dwell inside of you, something's got to give. Something's got to change. Because if you're still living a life that's defined by sin, is the Holy Spirit truly inside of you? Because we don't think that the Spirit can dwell. And I think this is where we shortchange the gospel and shortchange the message of God. I love that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. But what if my life is a life of sin? Does that Holy Spirit live inside of me? Because if I fundamentally believe that God can't dwell where sin dwells, something's got to give. So, so again, God, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, right? And, and the Holy Spirit desires to dwell in us. You see that in John 15, 1 Corinthians 3. So much of Scripture says that God desires to live inside of you. How can God live inside of you if you're still living lives of sin? That's the question. That's what holiness calls us back to, right? Like, how can God live inside of me if my life is still defined by sin? If my life is still defined by falling short? If my life is still defined by, oh, I'm just a human. I mess up all the time. How can God truly live inside of me? Now, again, Christian perfection, entire sanctification, Wesley and Wesleyanism, it doesn't mean, right, and I think this is kind of where we shortchange it or where we, we kind of zoom in on the wrong things. It doesn't mean that you have perfect knowledge. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, you are still human. You don't know it all. You just think you do, right? You're not God. You just assume you might be, right? Or you just live as if you are. So Christian holiness does not mean that you have perfect knowledge of everything. It doesn't like you plug into the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and I know it all, right? Like, that's not how it works. It also doesn't mean that you're not free from mistakes, right? You stub your toe, and what does the scripture say? Out of the heart, out of the, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. I think about that every time I stub my toe. But the point is, we're going to make mistakes. And, and, and being perfectly or entirely sanctified or growing in the spirit to the point where, where sin doesn't dwell in you, it's one thing to make a mistake. It's another thing to keep going and going and going in the wrong direction. It's one thing to say, I stubbed my toe. It's another thing to take a hammer to my brother's head. See what I'm saying? There's a difference. Right? 
Entire sanctification also doesn't mean, I think this is important for some of us who grew up in churches who still perhaps teach this, it doesn't mean that you're free from all infirmities. Again, you don't plug into the Holy Spirit now and say, I'm healthy physically and mentally, right? There's nothing ever will be wrong with me because we still have preachers who preach that if you are sick, there's something wrong with you. We laugh at it when we read it in scripture. We're like, oh my gosh, how does backwards people think this way? But we still think the same way, some of us, right? That when I'm sick, and there's people who believe, Christians who love God, who believe that they got cancer because they're not right with God. Right? So, so again, it doesn't mean that we're free from these infirmities. And I think this is the one that really, really resonates with me, right? There are people who are struggling just to breathe. Just to believe that God loves them. Just to believe the sun will come up again. There's people who are in deep, dark despair and depression. What are we doing for them? Are we saying, well, your depression is because God doesn't love you? Are we saying, well, I don't get it, so I don't know how to help you? Or are we saying, how can you be depressed, right? Entire sanctification does not mean we don't get to feel the weight of this world. And if we live in a broken world, we're going to take on some of that brokenness too. In fact, I would argue that's why we need Jesus even more. If you don't know if the sun's going to come up tomorrow, I might not be able to convince you, but I can at least hold your hand. If you don't know what God's love feels like, I may not be able to verbally convince you, right? Most of us... Valentine's Day is Tuesday. It's my Valentine's sermon. <laughs> Most of us don't just want to be told, I love you. Even on Valentine's Day, right? Most of us don't want to just hear about the love of God. Do we feel it? Do we experience it? Do we see it? Do we know it? So, so the, this, this, this idea of entire sanctification, it also doesn't mean you're free from temptation. There's people who are just like, well, I'm entirely sanctified. I cannot be tempted. Again, that's not even scriptural. That's your flesh speaking. That is what it means by the flesh is still alive and the spirit of God is not dwelling in you. Because if Jesus the Christ can be tempted, how much more will you be tempted? Jesus didn't go around and be like, I'm entirely sanctified. I can't be tempted. How dare us say the same? In fact, Jesus' brother James puts it like this, and I want to read James 1. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Entire sanctification, Christian perfection, is saying God's love dwells in me to push out the sin. Like that's what he's pushing at, right? It means, though, that we will be active in some of this work. Again, it's not you plug in, the spirit comes upon you, you're healed, you're sanctified, right? It means that we ought to be free from our sin. Meaning that if there's wrong that you know is wrong, you shouldn't keep doing it. And that means that sometimes it's obvious, right? Like, I'm probably not going to get a hammer and knock my brother over the head. But sometimes it's only obvious to you because the Spirit revealed it to you. You know you're wrong. You know you're living wrong. You know you're making bad choices. You know there's good left undone. You know you're not honoring God. You have to do the work of pushing out the sin so that the love of God can actually dwell inside of you. 
Because the longer sin dwells in your hearts, the harder it's going to be to fully follow God. Free from outward sin is thing. But it's also this idea then that Wesley talked about that you're free from evil thoughts and evil tempers. And that's why I like this James 1 passage, right? Because he says, listen, it's not God who's tempting you, it's you. And that's hard for us, right? You know, when I talk to people, they're like, why is there suffering in the world? Like, where is God? I'm just like, but, but we kind of do a lot of this suffering. Like, a lot of what's happening is because of us, because of systems we've set up, because of, uh, of greed that we have, and because we don't love God and love neighbor as ourselves. We're quick to put the blame on God because it's easier to say God is the cause of suffering than I'm the cause of this suffering. It's easier to say, why is this child in the middle of Indonesia, right, like suffering and, and wearing below what, like making, basically enslaved, right? And it's easier to be like, I got this for 1999, right? It's easier to blame God for the suffering than the suffering that is caused not just from the brokenness of the world, but the brokenness of the world in us and the decisions that we make too. Why is there suffering? You could blame God. But we ought to do the work of seeing where we're causing suffering ourselves. So this idea that James points out is that, listen, it's not God who tempts you. It's you who tempts you. And, in fact, that temptation then works with this desire that's living inside of you, right? That's what it means to have the Holy Spirit come and push these things out. Because the temptation comes, your desire that lives inside of you, and then it, it gets pregnant, right? And what births comes forth is sin. And sin ultimately leads to death. And when we think about following Jesus, Jesus is about life, more abundant life. And so dwelling in God, living by the Spirit, growing and being transformed by the Spirit, living lives of holiness, that leads to life. But if we don't, if we let the flesh not just live in us but dwell in us, if we let the good that God calls us to do keep being left undone, if we let the sin that we know is wrong or that God shows us is wrong keep ruling over us, that gives birth to sin, which gives birth to death. For the brethren in Christ, I think the best way to sum up what we got from holiness was that we believe that God does transform you, that it is conscious conversion, that it's a process that God's begun. But I think where we've fallen short, and I'll wait till someone else writes the article, right? But I think where we've fallen short is we've dwelled so much on the process of sanctification and not enough that the point is God wants to sanctify you wholly and right now. In 1 Thessalonians, we read this, right? It is God's will that you should be sanctified. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. That doesn't mean partially. That doesn't mean you have to wait till heaven, right? Like, like. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Now. God desires you to be holy now. God desires you to live for him now. It's not one of those we get to be like, when I get to heaven, I'll be perfect. When I get to heaven, I'll be ready to live for God. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that he's preparing you for Jesus. And most of us have that inverted, right? We think Jesus comes and then we're ready. See the difference? It's one thing to be like, when God comes, I'll be perfect and holy. It's another thing to actually read the scripture that says what? May your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless 
Another word for that might be perfect. Another word for that might be sanctification, right? May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. When Jesus comes, you ought to be ready. How do you get ready now? And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of this morning. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So Peter writes to a people who need to hear this message too. And he writes that, hey, God's calling us to be holy today. That God's calling us to grow in him today. Remember, God has chosen you to be his light today. And that's kind of where we want to park for the rest of our time together and what God means by Christian holiness. Right? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 1 to 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 to 10. We'll also have it up front so you can follow there as well. Um, another thing we're going to do in this passage is... Um, I don't know who does these Bible translations, but they're not from central Pennsylvania, you know, so they don't know this word called y'all, right? And, and so, and I, I think we laugh about it, but I honestly think if we read the y'alls in the Bible more than the yous, we'd have a better understanding of God because we'd have a better understanding of community because we'd have a better understanding when God is writing here, he's not writing to you specifically, he's writing to y'all. And so we're going to throw a little bit of y'alls in here. So I'm just preparing. You might be a little bit different than the screen, right? I'm not from Pittsburgh, so I don't know what a yins is. So I didn't do that part, right? Like maybe if we moved, they took our church and moved to Pittsburgh, we'd be doing yins. And it sounds like a different language. We'll leave it be, right? First Peter 2, starting at verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice or ill will and all deceit, hypocrisy, or pretense, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk of the word, so that it is by it y'all may grow up in your salvation. Now that y'all have tasted that the Lord is good. See what just happened there alone, right? Now that you know that the Lord is good is very different than now that y'all know that the word is good, right? Now that y'all know have tasted that the Lord is good. As y'all come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, uh, but chosen by God and precious or valuable to God, y'all also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house and temple to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious, valuable cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's Isaiah 28. Now to y'all who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become a cornerstone. That's Psalm 118. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, Isaiah 8. They stumble because they disobey the message. They disobey the word. They don't believe in the word, some translations might say, which is also what they were destined and appointed for. But y'all, y'all are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special position that y'all may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once y'all were not a people. But now y'all are the people of God. That should make your heart sing. Once y'all were not a people, but now y'all are the people of God. Once y'all had not received mercy, but now y'all have received mercy. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for this call for us to be holy. 
Help us to know that it's not about not making mistakes or not being tempted or, 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 or plugging in and make everything all right. Help us to know it's not also that we have to wait till heaven to actually be transformed in you. Holy Spirit, you desire to dwell in us. But we know that where sin lives and thrives, you cannot live and exist. So help us to be a people who are desiring to grow in the things of you, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be transformed, to be sanctified, entirely sanctified for your glory. Father, our God, teach us to be holy. Teach us what it means to live for you, to shine for you, to glorify you by everything we say, we do, we think, we imagine, we work for. Lord Jesus, our Christ, grow us in you. We see your example in scripture. We see your example in the lives of your people. We see how you lived and moved and loved. Help us to live and move and love the same way. Holy Spirit, help us to remember that it's all of us you've chosen. That it's we all who are chosen people. It's we all who are a holy priesthood. It's we all who are the people of God. Holy Spirit, remind us that we who didn't know mercy now know God's mercy. And may we be holy people telling the message and proclaiming the mercy of God too. In your holy and precious name, amen. Peter writes this epistle to a very fascinating church. Number one, you know from Peter that he's a man of action, right? My favorite person in the Bible not named Jesus, right? He's just like, hey, it's me, Jesus. No, that's a ghost. No, it's me, Jesus. Cool. Peter said, let me walk on water too, right? Love this guy, right? A whole garrison comes to arrest Jesus. He's like, I don't know what y'all going to do, but I got a knife. And you're not taking my Jesus, right? Like Peter didn't get the quite Anabaptist pastor. He didn't get that part yet, right? So he chops off the man's ear. And part of me respected that as a kid. You know, I'm just like, there's like 12 of you. By my Bible, there was angels who were sent down to give the Lord strength. They all stood down, but Peter had a knife, right? Man of action, that Peter, right? The thing about Peter is you, you see this wonderful transformation, and it begins with humility. After Jesus says, you'll deny me three times, I like, no, I won't. And then he denies him three times. But I think there's a difference between Judas and Peter. I personally think that, that Judas didn't fully believe in the forgiveness of Jesus was afforded to him. And I see this in so many people's lives, right? So many people that I tell God loves you, God forgives you, but they can't forgive themselves. And it leads to a path of self-destruction. But Peter saw the face of Jesus and he saw love and forgiveness. So when Jesus pulls up next to him on that beach and says, I need you to take care of my people, he steps up. And he becomes this leader in the early church. And so he writes this epistle, though, and what's fascinating is he writes it to a multicultural church. He's not just writing it to Jews. He's writing it to Jews and, and, and Gentiles. He's writing it not just to people in Israel, but people who have spread all over the Christian diaspora now. He's writing it to a church where no one, or you can't say everyone, like his y'all is not all people who look the same. Right? Like that's how the Bible and the church is supposed to be. Right? So this is who he's writing to. But he's also writing to a suffering church, to a persecuted church, to a church that to pronounce your faith, right, could mean death. And there's a reason maybe here we in the West, we don't uphold the, the epistle of 1 Peter as much as people maybe in China, in parts of Nigeria, in parts of the Middle East, there's a reason that they probably uplift this book more than we do because they know that Peter knows they're suffering, and yet God is still a God of hope. 
So to this suffering church, to this church that's among a world that's broken, we can relate to that part. I had lunch with someone today and they said, why is the world so broken? I was like, I don't know, but when you're ready to fix it, let's get to work. Right? Like, like, like he's writing to people who know that the world is broken. That he knows that we as people are living or are letting sin dwell inside of us. And that leads to, again, it gives birth to sin, but then leads to death. And he's writing to a people who are calling out, God, are you there? The psalm we read earlier, I think it begins with this idea that when we ask, God hears. And I don't think as Christians we hold on to that as well as we should. That the God of the universe holds on to what you think and what you imagine and what you feel. That God stoops down from heaven to hear what's going on, to not only see but to carry you through. So he writes to a church that's asking, God, where are you? And part of his answer, again, we're not doing a whole epistle this morning, just these 10 verses in chapter 2. Part of Peter's answer is like, well, well, God's calling us to be holy. The world is broken. Be holy. You might have the effects of brokenness on you, on your family, on your generation, on your people, on your nation. Be holy. God is saying that the world is suffering all around you. Be holy. You are crying out to where God is. Yes, I'm here. Now still, be holy. And so this first 10 verses identifies, I was going to say identifies our identity. I don't know if that works for the English majors, but we'll go with it, right? Calls out our identity. And our identity is not Hank, right? It's not Boymar to the Liberians who are watching online, that's me. It's not I'm black or African American. It's not I'm Liberian. It's not even that I'm a Christian. As I say, I'm a Christian. But the identity that Peter wants us to know and his audience to know is that you have been chosen for God for such a time as this. And part of your chosenness, part of God setting you in part is for you to be holy as God is holy. So as you walk through this passage, you see that he begins by saying, number one, holiness should be your response to God and work that you do. Holiness should be your response to God. In fact, earlier, right before, see, it's, it's tricky in the Bible because they come up with these cute little subtitles. But sometimes the subtitles might mess up the actual whole passage that they want, right? It's almost like if you heard my sermon for 15 minutes, and then next week we start off at minute 16 and go to like 15 minutes of the next sermon. It gets confusing, but we don't read the Bible like that, right? But sometimes you'll see that in this passage, right, he's talking about, hey, we need to lose all malice, ill will, deceit. But that's actually <laughs> mirrored by 122. Because in 122, he gives us how we should actually be living, which is obeying the truth, obeying God, having a sincere love for each other, right? And loving one each other deeply, fully, as from our heart, right? Like, that's what he says. And then he translates, like, that's what it means to live for God. Are you obeying God? Is Jesus your Lord? Are you actually have genuine love for one another? How do we show your love? Because that's what it means that the Spirit dwells inside of you. That's what it means you're living lives of holiness. Because what holiness doesn't look like is the malice, the ill will, the deceit, the hypocrisy or pretense. One of the things that I struggle with is when the world calls us as Christians hypocrites. And I know they're right. You don't have to be a believer 
to not like hypocrisy, right? Like, you don't have to believe in anything to know, like, hey, that's not okay. <laughs> like, how can you say this and live like this, right? Like, like lose all hypocrisy and, and, and pretense. Lose all envy and slander. Because, again, what Peter is saying is, if you live a life of revenge, if you live a life even of avenge, right? Like, if you live a life where, where deceit, ill will, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you cannot forgive, Jesus himself said that, if you don't forgive your brother and sister who you see, how can you expect God who you don't see to forgive you? Right? So, so if we live lives of flesh, we will have malice, ill will, deceit, hypocrisy, pretense, envy, and slander. Again, out of the heart is what the mouth speaks. Now, so for example, when I say I have counseling available at 10.45 p.m. tonight, for some of you, I'm not going to say any names. You know who you are. I think the Spirit's convicting you right now. 10.45 p.m., I'll have my phone available for you all, right? We will cry together. We will laugh together. Some of us might even praise God together. 10.45, don't worry. But I think the best way for us to actually live this life of holiness and there's a response from God is it goes back to David. Remember in Psalm 139 when David has this beautiful psalm about how God perfectly knows him, right? And David, I think, was probably entirely sanctified, at least at this moment, right? But even in that, he's like, you know what, God, I hate your enemies. I want to kill them. It's just like, how do we get? Like, I, I, as a kid, I imagine singing this in Sunday school, like, God loves me. God knows me. He knows the thoughts in my head. I want to kill his enemies. It's like, it just doesn't flow, right? It just doesn't flow, right? But the end of Psalm 139, I think David gives us a clue as how we ought to respond to God in a way of holiness, right? If you want to lose the malice, the ill will, the deceit, the hypocrisy, the pretense, the envy, the slander, what you ought to be saying every single day is what? Lord, search me and know me. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. That's what we ought to be doing. If you want to be having the genuine love for one another, be filled by the Holy Spirit, obeying God, say, Lord, search me and know me. And we BIC will like that because it means it's a process. But it also means that God wants to start that work now. Right? I do this a lot in racial justice uh, talks when people are just like, well, how do I start? I'm like, pray this prayer. And I love saying that to to a group of non-Christians. They don't know what to do. Right? Because most of them don't want to be racist. Most of them want to be, I'm like, you know what you ought to do? You ought to pray, right? You ought to pray and say, God, like, where am I wrong? What have I been taught wrong? What do I need you to help? And they got an existential crisis, right? It's like, I don't believe in God, but I don't know how to do this myself. I'm like, good luck. Take that one for free, right? I'm not saying it's the most effective evangelistic tool, but it helps. Lord, search me and know me, know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way of the everlasting. You want to start a life of holiness, pray that prayer every day. Pray that God shows you where you fall short. And instead of falling short because you're human and you're not holy, or because you're human and you're like, I'm not perfect, actually do the work of not doing those things. Actually do the work of turning the other way, right? Because redemption is not driving to Philadelphia. Who wants to go there today? Good luck, right? You turn the car around, you come to Harrisburg and sit, right? That's what it means to search me and know me. So holiness is our response to God and the work that we ought to be doing. But it's not just our work. Holiness is growing in the spirit. That's also God's work. Right? And and, and Peter uses this beautiful analogy. And I I just feel like when he wrote this, 
I don't know if he was married, but I know there's women in his life. They're just like, what you know about babies feeding? Right? I just know that's what they felt, right? So I'm not saying I know anything about breastfeeding. I'm just saying I think I get a little bit what he's trying to say, right? Because the doctors will tell us, right, that babies need milk. They need breast milk. They need those nutrients proportionally because what they need at two days old is a little bit different than what they need at 20 days old is a little bit different than maybe what they need at 60 days old, right? Like, that's fascinating to me. That God created women with this capability that they can feed the baby something that's needed at 2, 20, 200 even, right? It's amazing. And he's taking the same analogy and saying, y'all, it's kind of like this Christian walk too. Just like that baby needs the, spirit, the, the, the milk of the mother, you need the spiritual milk of God. Right? And then it supplies nutrients proportionately. Here's the other one. It protects from allergies, from diseases, from sickness. It's easily digested. Now, I know some of you are like, well, not my baby. I know. We're just saying generally. Right? Like, we're just saying generally. Like, I just, I'm just trying to have a good day. Like, I even wore green for some of y'all today. I'm just having a good day, right? Like, it, it's generally easily digested. But it also helps you grow physically and mentally strong. He's saying, we know all of this about mothers and babies, but do we know this about God? Now, there's some people who zoom in and be like, yeah, he means the word of the Lord. Grow strong in the word of the Lord. And that's tricky. Because when Peter writes, there's no Bible. So it's like, is he talking about the Bible? Now, you can be like, well, he's talking about the Old Testament law and prophets. And I'll give you that to you, right? But then when you get to the end of the passage, you know, when he says (laughs) that y'all may declare the praises of him, who calls you out of darkness and into his wonderful light, you realize that Peter's not just talking about the message, but the Messiah. He's not just talking about the word of God that you read on the page, but the word of God that lives in your heart. He's talking about Jesus, right? That's your spiritual milk. He says you need Jesus because holiness reminds you that it's only Jesus that can supply you with the nutrients that you need for healthy living. It's only Jesus that can protect you from the allergies and the sicknesses and the brokenness of this world. It's only Jesus that can help you digest and think through this scripture and this word. It's only Jesus that will help you grow strong. That's the spiritual milk that we need. And the other thing about holiness that's beautiful here is it reminds us of God's goodness. Y'all weren't the people, but now you're the people of God. Y'all, I see I did it. And I'm like, don't say you, it's y'all, right? Y'all weren't the people, but now y'all are the people of God. Y'all didn't know mercy, but now y'all know the mercy of God. Holiness and living for God reminds us of God's goodness. Remember, it's y'all. But the beauty of our God is it's not just for y'all, us. It's for the world. And holiness reminds us that this is our witness to our world. Because here's the thing, we come to God together in Christ. We are together God's people. I don't get to say I am God's people, right? Like, I, I mean, sometimes I think I have more than one personality maybe, you know, like there's a lot going on up here. But, but I'm just me for the most part, right? For the most part, that's the key thing here. We are God's people together. We are together God's priests. I love this. 
You know, the job of the priest in the Old Testament was to do two basic things. There's a lot of duties, but we, if Jesus can sum up everything in two, I'm going to try to sum up priests in two, right? The first one was they were to mediate between God and the people. You're the bridge between God and your people. The people you know, the people you love, you and your life, you're the bridge. You're the priest. You're supposed to help bridge that gap. If the world, now forget the world. If your world doesn't know Jesus, guess who Jesus has chosen? You. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the Christian, you know, the church. We're, we're, we're on your team. We're with you. We'll pray for you too, right? But God has called you to your world. And so the job of the priest was to, to mediate. Right? The, the, the relationship between God and the people. And it wasn't just mediator like, okay, y'all disagree, come together. Because the second part of the job wasn't just to mediate, it was to what? Resurrect, restore, renew. So it's not just your job to say, hey, y'all agree differently. I'm the bridge that's talk. But it's your job to help tell the story in a way that they can come to true salvation and sanctification and redemption and justification in Jesus Christ. We are together God's priests. We are together God's chosen people. And as God's chosen people, we ought to live lives that our testimony declares the praises of God. Are you living in a way that your world is moving from dark to light? Because that's what Peter is asking us to do. Are you living in a way with a witness that God's divine grace has not only shown upon you, but is seen through you? Because holiness reminds us that as God's people, as God's priests, we've been set apart for God. Remember, God chose Abraham and his family to bless all the families of the world. God chose Israel and the people of the Old Testament as what? A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. For what? The world. God now chooses Jesus as the Messiah the light of the world. And now we conclude with God has chosen us now to invite others into the story and to share God's glory. We ought to be people who live lives of holiness, not because we think we're better, not because we think we'll never stumble, be tempted, or, or, but because we don't want the flesh to live inside of us. Because where the flesh lives, God cannot abide. We also ought to respond to God's goodness by being faithful to God. And lastly, you living lives of holiness get to partner with the God of the universe to be that mediator, that advocate, that priest, that bridge that brings the world into the story of Jesus. That is beautiful. And that's what we've been tasked to do. So my sisters and brothers, may we be holy as our God is holy. May we be faithful as our Jesus is faithful. And may we abide, may we dwell, may we rest in the spirit so it brings new life to us. This morning we're gonna close our service with communion. I'm gonna ask Pastor Ryan to come up. Um, hopefully as you came in, you received the communion elements. Um, if you did not, if you raise your hand, I think the deacons or someone from the back can come and get you some, so just raise your hand for that.
Um, in the next moments, we'll be sharing in communion together, celebrating the new life that we have in Jesus. Again, we ask that you're a follower of Jesus. We would like you to be a member and a follower, like a member of Harrisburg and Christ. But if you're not, that's not the requirement. The requirement is that you do follow Jesus Christ as you partake the bread and the cup. Again, the deacons are around. If you need anything, just raise your hand. Again, the table of the Lord is for all who believe, for all who have received Jesus Christ as Lord. you to come to this table not because we must but because we may we come to testify not that we are perfect but that we sincerely love our lord jesus christ and desire to be his true disciples we come not because we are strong but because we are weak not because we have any claim on heaven's rewards but because in our frailty we stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help we come not only to remember his death but also his resurrection and promise to return. So now that the supper of the Lord is, is spread before us, let us lift up our minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to us the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let us join together in the responsive reading um, for communion this morning is taken from Hebrews 13. We'll also have it up front. The high priest carried the blood of the sacrifices into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the remains were buried, burned outside the camp. And so Jesus likewise suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own sacrifice. Then let us go to him outside, outside the, the camp, camp bearing, bearing the disgrace he had. Here we do not have an enduring city, looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, let us therefore continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And let us not forget to do good and share with others. With such sacrifices, God is pleased. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, equip us with everything good for doing his will. One way that we profess his name and do his will is in the sharing of the Lord's Supper. So we'll move forward with that now. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are indeed our great high priest. We thank you that it wasn't the sacrifice of animals, but the sacrifice of your body. Lord, you so loved us, you went to your city. We're thrown out of your city, we're beaten, we're bruised, suffered, and died for us. Lord, we thank you that in that sacrifice, you made it possible for us to come to know you. You forgave not only our sins, but through your love, your mercy, your grace, we are now children of our God and Father. So we come to this table grateful, not just for salvation that saves us from our sins, but for fellowship with the Holy Spirit that lives within, for fellowship with God our Father, and for you and your love for us. In your name we pray, amen. And now our um, traditional response. My sisters and brothers, this bread which we break, is it not the body of the, is it not the body of Christ? This bread which we break is the communion. Take and eat. See, I'm trying to read, but it's not. I'm just going to go with my paper. 
They could eat this bread, remembering he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your hearts and be thankful. Trying to talk after that is no joke. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing. And he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you that it is your blood that cleanses us, purifies us, that it is your work in our lives that makes us holy. That even as we receive it, even as we, we, we choose to accept that at some level, that it is always you that pursue, it is you that work, it is you that is making us yours, making us fit to be called by your name. We praise you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross, for the blood poured out for us. May it cleanse us, Lord Jesus, to be yours in this world. Amen. My brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. Amen. Um, at this time, I'd like to invite up the worship team. Uh, we're going to close with our final song. Um, as we sing together, I'd like to invite any of the pastors in the room to please come up for prayer. We'd love to pray for you, uh, maybe in response to something in the sermon or just anything you've got going on, we'd love to pray for you as, as well. Um, as we sing this final song, may we sing it triumphantly. The call of God to holiness is one that we either ignore or one that we feel like it's too burdensome. But, but sisters and brothers, I want to remind you that you have the power of God living inside of you. That you have sisters and brothers all around you who are urging and praying for you and helping you on. That this call to live a holy life isn't someone that we should just shirk off, right? But it's one that we can step up to. Because your witness matters. Your words matters. Your life matters. Your actions matters. It matters not only to our God, it matters to our world. So let's sing triumphantly together. Stand and sing.
closer to heaven and there's that's there's many reasons that's a good thing right one of the things I struggle with though is the fact that the list of people I need to apologize to just keeps getting longer and longer right and we got forever so you can't run from them right um and one of the people I want to apologize to this morning before I get there I'm working on this holiness perfection thing right is David right like I, I used to for years talk about how David said Lord take not thy Holy Spirit from me right and how we're blessed to have the Holy Spirit live inside of us but this teaching on holiness reminds me that we can be like David too and say, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because if we're not living lives of holiness, the Holy Spirit is not in us. And David is writing from his sin and giving it forward to God, asking for forgiveness, and then pleading for God to come and live inside of him. That's why, or part of the reason why David is a man after God's own heart, right? Because when we sin and sin deeply, we just assume the Holy Spirit is still there. All right, we just assume, well, God's God, God's going to be there, right? But it's about pledging and giving your lives fully to God. It's about saying, God, I have allowed sin to dwell so deeply within that has given birth to things that are leading to destruction and death. Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Let me actually be transformed by your Spirit. God's Spirit desires deeply to dwell inside of you. Jesus desires to abide in you. May we be a people who are committed to holiness. May we be a people who are committed to submission to the Holy Spirit. May we be a people who know that our witness and our testimony is to proclaim that we are y'all. We are together the people of God. We are together the lovers of God. We are together the people who know God's mercy. Amen. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much the blessing of holiness, for the reminder that you've chosen us, for the reminder that we all together are your chosen people, that we all together are this royal priesthood, that we all together are the children of God. Lord, may our witness and testimony be to your mercy, to your compassion, to your grace, to your love. May our witness and testimony be together a light to those who are living in darkness. 
May we be the priests that mediate on behalf of you and our world who brings them in so that they can know the power of forgiveness, the power of salvation, the power of sanctification. Lord, may we be holy for you are holy. And if we are indeed your children, if we do indeed belong to you, Lord, help us to not wait till heaven to get right. Help us to not wait till heaven to live right. Help us today to see the sin in our lives and and kick it out. To see the sin in our lives and trample upon it. To see the sin in our lives and say, Lord, you've called me to greater than this. Lord, help us to see how we can be even more faithful to you. For you are light. Let us be your light. For you are grace. Let us be your grace. For you are mercy. Let us be your mercy. For you are love. Let us be your love. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you all.